0: California has something that that I never experienced before the move out here. Now, there's other states that have these things, but there there aren't any that I ever saw in Ohio. Vista points. These Vista points are these right on the side of the freeway. You just pull off, and and there's this section where you just get out and and see something beautiful. Someone thought this would be a great spot for you to just take a look, take a picture, um, pull over and rest, catch your breath, and just sort of see this beautiful scenery, this beautiful landscape, right? California ha- has a ton of those. I-, I never saw one in Ohio because unless your thing is is cornfields, uh, there's not a ton to see. There's it's flat. Not even many hills um, for the most part. When you're in Ohio, if you wanted to take a vacation, uh, you have to go lots of hours any direction. You know, you want to go to the ocean, you have to head east. Uh, probably about six seven hours get to the outer banks of North Carolina you want to go to the Pacific Ocean it's a three-day drive you know to get to that if you want to see if you want to go to like Niagara Falls you can see some beautiful waterfalls if you go way north uh, go south to Florida there's just not a ton in Ohio that is worth going for unless you're going to see family and friends the, the state itself isn't nearly as beautiful and captivating as California is and, and California knows that so there's these these spots on the side of the road that you pull over and in essence you don't st- your destination isn't that vista point right like there's you don't plug into your GPS get me to the vista point on this freeway this mile marker like that's just not usually the way vista points work you're on your way somewhere you you're headed somewhere but there's just in just in case you want to pull over just in case you want to catch your breath grab a, a, a quick 10 seconds 10 minute 20 minute power nap you could snap a picture remember a moment there's the Vista point that you can stop and pull away and get away and check it out but you're on your way somewhere you eventually after not very long of a stop might be there might be two minutes might be 10 minutes you get back in your car and you hammer down and you continue where you were going see i i like Vista points because like like I I, I, to me if I'm headed to Southern California, my wife and I did this me and my wife and my kids did this. Like the destination ultimately was San Diego for Anthony Villa, our student ministry pastors his retirement party I mean, when he retired from the Marines. Our destination like eight days from the time we left was Anthony Villa's uh, graduate or retirement party. We, jumped, we we went from Sacramento to the Pacific Coast Highway and we successfully took like seven days to get to San Diego because I I could not wait to stop. At every vista point along the way, we had no. We had no reservations anywhere, We had no idea where we were gonna go. I love it that way. My wife is different. If we're going to Southern California, she wants to book the flight. Let's get there. Let's have a great time while we get there. Spend as long as we can there, and then and then fly back home. Our destination. Let's get there really quickly. Maybe you prefer a vacation like that. Literally, I prefer to say, yeah, San Diego is the goal. We may or may not make it, Who because who knows? It might be the world's largest ball of yarn at exit 40, and we have to see it. We, how could we not see the world's largest ball? I, I'm easily distracted by a reason to pull off. So we took seven days to get to San Diego, because there was too many things to see, in my opinion, too many, too many uh, re- uh, hotels to stop at and to spend the night at, at, at an oceanfront view. I, I love to get off and to see things, but not everybody's wired that way. There's a, there's a guy in the Bible that I want to look at who, who made a special stop to a vista point. In fact, he even. He even did plug it in his GPS. He planned to go to a vista point, which is not something that you and I typically do, unless we just really there's this spot, there's this thing, there's this experience that we're really, really hoping for, and then maybe we, we would plug into a vista point or plug a vista point into our GPS. This see this series that we're in, this series is all about waiting. In fact, we called it the waiting room. We 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 we, we created the space pre-Christmas to sort of learn how to wait. Remember last week we talked about. There was a promise of a coming Messiah. His name was Jesus. But we, we effortlessly flip from Malachi in the Old Testament to, to Matthew in the New Testament as if a couple days passed between Jesus wasn't here and then all of a sudden he was here. We learned last week the, the reality is that hundreds of years passed. T- tremendous bondage and heaviness and exile for the people of Israel who were promised Jesus. And yet they had to learn somehow how to wait well for the promise that they were given. And you and I learned that sometimes we have to learn to wait well because what we think will happen, what we hope will happen, what we even need to happen doesn't always happen at our timetable. And God has a way of having a timetable and a timeline that's different than ours. So we get invited into this journey of learning to wait well, to wait for Yahweh's grace as Isaiah 43 reminded us last week. So there's there's a guy who who was just really really good? He was on a road trip. His name's Elijah, and there's a ton of verses here. But if I'm you know if I'm being honest, I, I I plan to read all these all these verses. The different highlighted colors are different sections of verses that'll be on our screen at church this weekend here in the big house. But I'm just gonna kind of skim. Through. I want to tell you the story because I want to get through this a little quicker than I typically get through things. There's a guy named Elijah. We, re- we meet Elijah in in 1 Kings chapter 17. The first time we hear about Elijah, it says now, Elijah, who was from Tishbe and Gilead, told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years. Elijah says, until I give the word. I mentioned several weeks ago when we were talking about the prophet Samuel that Isaiah or that, that prophets were like, they were revered dudes. Isaiah, which was one of the prophets. They were they, pe- people were scared of these guys. Because they had, they carried the very voice of the Lord. Like the Lord would translate and tell these guys what he wanted. And then these prophets would tell kings and, and leaders of countries what God wanted them to do. And so they, they carried an authority that kings just were scared of. Because So the prophet Elijah, when we first meet him, is telling King Ahab, you're about to get a serious drought, dude, and it's not going to rain until I say it rains. In essence, until God tells me to tell you that it's going to start raining. Elijah carried some authority. And over the next couple passages, I, rather than tell you exactly the, the stories, there are they are crazy stories. I encourage you to read read if you want to like kind of circle back and do this, I'll skim it, I'll highlight the main ideas. But first Kings 17, 18, and 19 are incredible stories. Arguably one of my favorite sections of the Old Testament. David is my favorite character, but what Elijah does and 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 the things that he accomplishes are pretty incredible stories. And and 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 2, we just read verse 1, but then verse 2 says, okay, so now the Lord said something else to Elijah. So verse 2, then the Lord said to Elijah, go to the east and hide by Kereth Brook, dot, 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 blah, blah, blah. And verse 5, so Elijah did as the Lord told him. The reason I'm just going to skip through this thing is it's, it's a miraculous story, it's crazy. The Lord tells. Elijah, hey man, go camp out at this spot, and then he says, when you get there, I'm gonna send ravens to feed you. They're, they're gonna feed you breakfast and supper. The Lord says, go. Elijah plugs that into his GPS on his Apple Watch, and he he gets there. He gets walking directions. Obviously, I don't think they had they had camel riding directions or anything like that. So or, or horseback or donkey riding. So it was just walking directions to get. And the the Lord said, go to where I told you to go. When you get there, don't stress it. I'm going to send ravens that are going to bring you your breakfast and your supper. And so the Bible says that Elijah did as the Lord told him to do went exactly where the Lord told him to go. And God did exactly what he said he would do. And he brought ravens to feed Elijah day and night, which is crazy. I I mean, there's a health code violations there that I'm concerned about personally. But it wasn't something that Elijah was concerned about. Ravens brought him. I don't know how they brought him. I don't know what they brought him. I don't know if he had to send it back. Like, this isn't at all what I ordered. But (laughs) I don't know if he said, can you bring the A1? I don't don't know any of that. But but Ravens brought Elijah breakfast and supper because Elijah was where God told him to be. Elijah, he had a lot of confidence that God could do incredible things because God showed up to him. And then right after that, in verse 8, Then the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath. Near the city of Sidon, so verse ten says. So he went to Zarephath. Uh, uh, the Lord said, "Elijah, now I want you to go here." Elijah plugged that into his GPS, and Elijah went to another city that the Lord told him to go. The Lord said, "This time ravens won't feed you. I have a widow that I'm going to tell to feed you. And when you get there, just tell the widow to feed you that you're a man of God, and she'll she'll do it, and I'll I'll take care of it." The Lord says, "Go." Elijah goes. There's a widow, and Elijah goes to the widow's house, and he says, "Hey, will you feed me? I'm the prophet of the Lord, and, and you're supposed to feed me." And uh, you can read it for yourself. the The, the lady, the widow, says, "And I, I'm serious." She says, "I swear to God, I don't have any food." Like she says, "I swear to the Lord of Hosts, I don't have any food." So basically, the Lord or Elijah says, "Yo, I'm the I'm the prophet, the man of God. Lord told me to come here." And you're supposed to feed me, and that's how he's going to provide for me. The Lord told me that. He, he fed me with ravens last time, so I know he does what he says he's going to do. And now he's supposed to feed me through you. The widow says, I swear to God, I have no food. And then she says, I, I just told my son before you got here that we're going to make our last meal. And we're going to we're going to make our last meal. We're going to eat it, and we're going to wait to die because we have nothing else in this house. She said, as I promise, I swear to God, that's the truth. And Elijah says, Well, do me a favor, if you have enough for one more meal, if you make that meal for me, God's gonna supernaturally provide for you and you'll have food for as long as you need. The lady's like, okay, like, you better be right. You know, so he does so she does that. She makes she takes the last bit of oil she has, she takes the last bit of flour she has, and she makes bread for Elijah, and then something miraculous happens. If you thought that that the raven is feeding Elijah was cool. Well, God takes these containers. You can read it in 1 Kings chapter 17, chapter 18. No, 17, right? Yeah, 17. In 1 Kings 17, then the containers that had the flour and the oil that the lady used to make food for Elijah. Supernaturally, every time she'd go to the, the, the container for oil, the oil was full, filled again. So she'd go over to the flour because she needed flour to make the next meal and the flour was full again. And she'd use it all and she'd be like, well, this is the end of it. And then she'd go to the container again and the flour was full again. The Lord supernaturally provided food over and over and over again because Elijah was staying at her house and so God had a way of taking care of Elijah and he'd use supernatural ways and this widow was the beneficiary of this supernatural feeding because Elijah was staying at at, at the widow's house. While Elijah's at the widow's house and I'm just man, I'm just breezing through these stories. I wanna I wanna paint a story that just says how faithful God has been to Elijah. How how many times Elijah has been shown God's faithfulness. So in the same chapter in First Kings chapter 17, the widow's son dies while Elijah is living there. So the the widow goes to Elijah and, and she says, My son died. You said you're a man of God, so could you do something? Like I, I've been taking care of you. I gave you my last meal, and then God showed favor to me and to you. We've been eating, and supernaturally, these containers are just filling up. And so now my son died. Why in the world would God let my son die? And so Elijah carries the boy upstairs, and he lays him on a bed, and he prays over him. And on the third time that he prays, God gives life. Actually, the, the Bible says God heard Elijah's prayer, and he brought the boy back to life. Because Elijah prayed, God responded. Because Elijah asked for something, God responded. The boy was dead, but Elijah said, do this, and God said, okay, and so God healed the boy, carries the boy downstairs, and the woman says, oh my goodness, you really are a man of God. Elijah's got to be on cloud nine, right? He, he's slaying the game. God said, go tell Ahab there's going to be a drought, so Elijah tells Ahab there's going to be a drought. God says, go camp out by this by this brook here, in, in, by the Jordan River, because Ahab is going to be mad at you. And, Hide out here. I'm going to feed you with ravens. So Elijah goes. uh, God feeds him with ravens. Then Then God says, Go live at this spot with a widow, and I'll make sure you're taken care of. And I'll just prove over and over again that I'm with you. So Elijah does that, and God proves over and over again that God is with Elijah. Verse chapter 19 hits. No, I'm sorry. Chapter 18 hits. Later on in the third year of the drought, you know, the one that. Elijah said what's going to happen. The Lord said to Elijah, go and present yourself to King Ahab and tell him that I will soon send rain. In verse two, this is what Elijah's been really good at. So Elijah went to appear before Ahab. See the pattern here? Like like God says go, Elijah says you got it. God says go here, Elijah plugs it in his GPS and Elijah says you got it. And, and this is in chapter 18, it's, it's the great showdown of Mount Carmel, you might know the story. I mean, there are a million messages I could preach out of the great showdown at Mount Carmel. I just want to breeze by it, and I want to breeze by it just so that you know that Elijah's got to be feeling like he's, he's on. I mean, how could you not feel like you're on cloud nine after what God has done already in the story? And then at Mount Carmel, Elijah is ticked that the people of Israel are worshiping the God of Baal. And he's angry because Israel is God's nation. That's God's people. And they had just, they just turned their back on God. And so Elijah says, how about this? How about this, all right? God's going to send rain, but I would love to prove to Israel once and for all that my God, Elijah said, is the actual one, true God. And the God of Baal, the God that you're serving is nothing. And so maybe you know the story. Elijah says, get 450 of your prophets of Baal, have them build an altar, and then I'm going to build an altar. We're both going to pray, and the God that sends fire from heaven is the God that that you're going to serve. It's the one true God, and I wish I had time to unpack the story because it's an incredible, stinking story. The prophets of Baal begin to sing and dance over the over the the altar that they've made. Elijah mocks them. It's for funny. Read it. Elijah's like, "Oh, maybe your God's sleeping. Just do it louder. He, you wake him up." And then they keep doing it. I mean, read it. Elijah goes, honestly, honestly, maybe, you, maybe your God's taking a leak. Maybe he's relieving himself. <laughs> Elijah's just mocking him. And then Elijah does this thing that that, that he knew he had just he had just called to God with with the, the the widow's boy, and he got answered. So he's got some confidence that when he calls to God, God's going to answer. The waiting period that Elijah had been subject to recently hadn't been very different than what he had hoped for. He prayed, God showed up. God said, go, he went, God provided. And so Elijah, had, it was used to just, when he asked God to do something, boom, God did it. And so so Elijah prayed to an altar that just to, sh- just to show off, he dumped water all over just to make it seem virtually impossible for fire to come, build a moat around it, fill the whole thing with water. And then Elijah simply says, God, the one true God, Will you show off, prove to everybody that you are God? And in the Bible says, the word that the Bible says is immediately fire fell from heaven. It completely lit up the water. And everyone there knew that God was the one true God. Elijah's God was the one true God. And so the story goes to where Elijah actually has all those prophets killed. And Elijah then takes off the head of the king. The king's now going to ride into the city to tell the city, rain is coming. The prophet said, rain is coming. This prophet just proved that the God of Israel, Elijah's God, is the one true God. He killed all the prophets. And Elijah's expecting that revival is going to break out. So so Ahab the king jumps in his chariot and he heads to the city. Uh, Elijah's probably thinking, this king's about to go start revival when he tells the story of what God did. So Ahab the king jumps in his chariot and he heads to the capital of the city, Jezreel. And he goes there and, and he tells his wife, what Elijah just did. Elijah's probably imagining a revival's about to break out into the city, but that didn't at all happen. No one is happy that, that Elijah just did that. In fact, Ahab's wife says, I'm I'm ticked that Elijah just did this and I'm going to kill Elijah. I mean, why is Elijah stressed? I don't know why Elijah's stressed. But Elijah broke the, the the plan that had been working for so long. God says, go, Elijah goes. God says Move Elijah moves. God says, Do this. Elijah does it. And every single time, God shows up. But for the very first time, Elijah breaks that model. So I'm in chapter 19, verse 1. This is where the prophets of Baal have been killed. The fires come down from heaven. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and he did something. He broke protocol. Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. And then he went on alone into the wilderness traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and he prayed that he might die. Elijah says, I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Elijah broke protocol. God had been so faithful to say, go where I send you and I'll take care of you. But Elijah got so confused by what God was doing. He got so confused by what God allowed to have happen. Even though he had seen all these incredible things behind him, Elijah got so confused by his current situation that he, for the first time in the story, goes somewhere God did not tell him to go. God did not say to go to this town. Elijah fled for his life. The God who had been preserving his life day after day after day now finds himself fleeing for his life. God never said to go to this town. But Elijah goes to this town and now that he's outside of where God wants him to be, he is alone and he is literally suicidal. For the first time, Elijah is not where God asked him to go. And for the first time in the storyline of where we meet Elijah, Elijah is in a horrible place outside of the protection of God. It stands to reason It stands to reason that God then would say, you didn't go where I told you to go. And so because of that, I I, I can't continue to allow you to experience my faithfulness and my provision like you have already so far. And so God completely abandoned Elijah, right? No, he didn't. So it says in the very next verse, then Elijah lay down and slept under a broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and beside his head was some baked, some bread baked on hot stones in a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank and the, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And he came to a cave there and he spent the night. I I wish I had like another hour so I could tell you how exciting that it is that in the middle of Elijah being away from where God wanted him to be, God was faithful. The same way he had been when Elijah was right in the center of his will. I don't know if it was ravens or not. It stands to reason it could have been. You know, Elijah wakes up after being suicidal and says, forget this. I just want to die, God. Forget it. You've abandoned me, God. How could you let this happen? I thought revival was going to break out in the city because you did this thing and instead now they want to kill me. God, I'm sick of this. Having a pity party. I've been there. Don't don't lie to yourself. You've been there. Maybe you are there. If you're not there, you will be there again. I swear to you. And so Elijah wakes up. And I bet, I'm just imagining here, but I bet it was the same exact thing that God made and had delivered to him when he was bank, camping out by that brook where ravens brought him dinner. He wakes up and he opens his eyes. And the angel of the Lord taps him on the shoulder maybe, maybe the angel of the Lord's in a maitre d' outfit. I don't know. And, and he points down to where the food is. And Elijah sees the same things that the ravens kept going, kept bringing him. Maybe the, what the Lord is trying to say is, I still see you, man. I still see you. I'm still going to take care of you. I'm still going to provide for you. And, and Elijah, like you and like me, he's just takes it, you know, pouting still, you know, it's like, it's like when your kid's in the room and, and you you bring them dinner and, and you do something nice for them. And they, they take it because they want it. But then they're like, oh, but I'm still not happy with you. Just so you know, I'm still not happy with you yet. And he goes back to sleep. And the angel of the Lord gently nudges him again. And he says, y- you need to eat some more because you have a long journey ahead. You know, it doesn't say in the story if, if that's where God told him to go. In the storyline, it just says that there's a long journey. Journey ahead. Obviously, God knew because he knows everything. He knows the steps before we take them. Right. So obviously, God knew where Elijah was going to go next. But it didn't tell us that that God told Elijah to go. It just says that the Lord knew he had a long journey. For me this week, at least, I think the Lord knew that there was a long journey ahead because the Lord knew that Elijah really needed to go figure some stuff out. Elijah really needed to figure out what's next in his storyline. What, 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 where does he go from here? And so I don't know if you have these kinds of songs, you know, these songs. I have a, a playlist that's that's literally, I think it's called My Current Worship Jams. I have another one that's called like Re- Time of Reflection or like, what's not called this, but I forget what it's called, but it's in essence like, God, I really need to freaking hear from you. It's a Spotify playlist. It's something along those lines. It's like, this is a Hail Mary for you to show up in my life right now. And Elijah goes to what the, the mountain that's called the Mountain of God, Mount Sinai. It's 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 the mountain where God gave a, Moses the Ten Commandments. It's a mountain where people were familiar with not knowing what to do, and God to lay out instructions and next steps for entire people groups. And and Elijah's like God, uh, you 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 met Moses here, and you told him how to get this right you 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 instructed and corrected him and, and you his face even lit up because he saw you and god i'm i'm kind of a mess right now and so I'm going to walk 40 days to get to where you are. I didn't say that the Lord told him to go there, but the Lord knew he would go there because the Lord knows your steps before you even take them next. And the Lord knows what you're going to do next. And he's already giving you the nourishment that you need to get there. It might not even be where he planned, where he wanted you to go. But since he knows that you at times going to step out of his will, he's not going to abandon you even when you step out of his will. So God says, I know you're going to go here for me. You, you want to hear from me. So you're going to go to Mount Sinai. So eat up because I'm going to be with you when you go on that journey and, and Elijah goes on that journey. I don't know if it was where God wanted him to go or if it's just Elijah saying, I really need to hear from you and And maybe you know the story. In cha- verse 9 of chapter, it's 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 9 it says, Then he came to a cave where he spent the night at the mountain of God, Mount Sinai, the mountain where people went and God had a, a pattern of showing up. And the Lord said to him, "What are you doing here, Elijah?" And don't don't you don't you love that God asks those kinds of questions? Like when like when He asked Adam, "And Adam, where are you?" You know, like 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 He didn't know, like like He was looking for information. Adam, this is the greatest game of of hide and seek that's ever existed. Where are you? He doesn't look for answers. He knows the answer. He's asking a question because he wants for us to look inwardly and see what he's trying to say to us. So we're, what are you doing here, Elijah? is isn't because God's confused. He wants Elijah to do some self-evaluation and for Elijah to figure out why he's here. And Elijah replied, it's a heck of a pity party. But Elijah says, go out and stand before me on the mountain. Wait, no. That's that's God's response. Back up. Verse ten. Verse ten. Uh, the Lord said, "What are you doing here, Elijah?" Verse verse ten. Elijah replied, "As a pity party, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too." Hey, I'm not I'm not mocking. I just say what a, what a pity party this is. He's he's. Somehow this interaction, this conversation between Elijah and the God of the universe, and the only thing he can stand to say is that he's, he can, all he can stand to do is to draw attention to himself. You're face to face with the God of the universe on a mountain where the, the Ten Commandments was given and a people w- w- was given a, 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 a directions for their l- entire life. And all you can stand to muster up to say is this is not a very good day. And so God responds to Elijah, and He says, "Go out and stand before Me on the mountain." The Lord told him. And Elijah, as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. And a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. The same fire that Elijah saw, whenever that He called it down from heaven, boom! The Lord shows up like that again. I wonder, I wonder if Elijah at that point, maybe that's when Elijah was like, man, my goddess, God, you're so powerful. Are you? Maybe God. that was like a way of God showing Elijah the highlight reel of what how he had been so faithful to Elijah. But the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? It's interesting that, that God asks Elijah the same exact question. Well, what, what's the difference? The difference now is that Elijah had, had, had seen God, like he had experienced God. He he was reminded of God, his power, his authority over the, 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 the winds, his authority over the circumstances, his authority over creation and... And you would you would think that now that Elijah has seen that, that he'd have a different answer to the same question. But Elijah says the exact same thing. He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. Elijah gives the same exact answer. I, I, this will be on the screen at church, and it's something that I want you to take heart in today, that his conditions didn't have to change for his calling to be confirmed. I, Elijah had the same exact answer. I'm in a crappy situation, God. I've done everything I know how to do. I've served you the best I can, and I'm in a crappy situation. I'm running for my life. I'm the only one that seems to be caring about you. I'm the only one that seems to be serving you. I'm the only one that, that is honestly and diligently trying to please you. And now I'm running for my life. His conditions didn't change. But thankfully, his conditions didn't have to change for his calling to be confirmed. Because in verse 15, the Lord responded. The last time what the Lord did when he gave that answer was to say, stand right there. I want to remind you of who I am. And then God reminded Elijah of who he is. And then Elijah said, but my circumstances haven't changed. I know who you are, but my circumstances are exactly the same. And in verse 15, God responds differently now. God says to Elijah, then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. I paraphrased it in parentheses that'll be on the screen at church and this is what God said. When you arrive there, anoint a new king of, of Aram, anoint a new king of Israel, anoint a new prophet. And I've set aside 7,000 people to make sure that you're really not alone. That's in essence what God said. God, the, the God who had been so faithful to tell Elijah where to go and Elijah went and incredible things happened. Elijah could confront kings with the very voice of God and the kings would would, would recognize that there is an authority behind the words that Elijah speaks and for the first time Elijah ran away from where God told him to go and he went and did his own thing but God was so faithful to remind Elijah that he hadn't changed, though Elijah's coordinates had changed. Though Elijah wasn't anywhere near where God had told him to be. God could meet him there. If he could he could he could wait for God, even outside of the perfect will that God had for Elijah. And God would still be faithful to show up there and remind Elijah that he was still good, though his circumstances were still so ugly. And though his circumstances hadn't changed, his conditions hadn't changed, God could still Remind him that his calling was secure. And so God said, like I've been telling you to do, go here, do this, go here, do this, go here, do this. And by the way, you're not really alone. I'm going to set aside 7,000 people who haven't kissed Baal, who who don't serve Baal, who still serve me. And you're going to have plenty of partners to continue to do my work. See, there's lots of, of waiting rooms that are watching this today. The, 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 the Elijah went to a vista point. God had spoke here in the past. God had he had experienced God here in the past, and a vista point is a little bit like a waiting room. It's it's, it's a little bit like a, a, a spot where we pull away just to see some things from God that we need to see. And in and, 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 and the big house here this weekend, I'm going to invite people to recognize that there's a couple different kinds of waiting rooms going on in the room. And I'm asking you, whether you're watching this via video or whether you're listening to this via podcast, there's, there's, there's lots of different waiting rooms that are happening in your world today. If you were to get away with God And there to be a conversation about your circumstances. There's probably lots of different waiting rooms. But I want to boil it down to two different kinds of waiting rooms. If I could just oversimplify it. If I was to oversimplify it, I'd ask, which waiting room are you represented by today? Because number one, maybe you're waiting on God. Maybe you need to pull off to a vista point and you need to turn off the engine. There's still, you're on the freeway. There's still crap to do. There's still things that you got to get back to. You, But you might need to pull off a little bit. You might need to say, God, I need to hear from you. I'm waiting for you to re- show me something about yourself. Remind me who you are. Remind me that you see my circumstances. Maybe there's some waiting rooms today. Where you need to pull off and you need to take some time to be still and and know that he is God. Listen for that still, small voice. But you know what I love about, why did God, I've always wondered, why did God, why did you send, the, why did you break off the rocks with a mighty earthquake? Why did you send wind that just whipped through the side of the, the mountain? He's in the cave probably like, oh my God, watching things just change and, and, and trees and branches blow and rocks come crashing down over the mouth of the cave. Fire. I mean, a fire, we know here in Northern California, fire and mountains don't don't mix well. So I don't know if it started a forest fire, if it came and gone. I have no idea. But fire came, and why, why did God do that? Why did God do that? Because I think God knew that Elijah is a lot like me, maybe a lot like you. Has your wife, as your partner, as your as your as your parent ever said, "Hey, listen to me. I'm listening. I'm listening." I can't even tell you the number of times that Jess says to me listen to me with your eyes. Meaning I, you're kind of listening to me, but listen to me with your eyes. Look at me. Look at what I'm saying to you. I really mean it. I need you to focus in on what I'm saying. And I, I think all of those things happening outside of the mouth of the cave was God saying to Elijah, look at me. Listen to me. Listen. Elijah, I'm listening. And God says, listen to me with your eyes. Elijah looks out and sees all these things happen and God has his attention. But God wasn't speaking through those things. He was just saying, listen to me with your eyes. And then in the still small voice, that's when Elijah began to hear, I am not done with you yet. So one of the waiting rooms is, is Elijah needing to hear from God, waiting to hear from God. But then what happened is that God responded. So there's another waiting room that you might be in today. You might be in the waiting room of where God's actually waiting on you. You might be in the waiting room and and I'll I'll give you this verse. Revelation chapter three, verse 20 says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Jesus Christ. God sent Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, the Creator of everything, sent Jesus Christ to us so that we could be reunited with Him. And He stands at the door, and He says, "I'm not done with you yet." Yes, you're. Yes, you you blowing it from time to time. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't tell you to be in this relationship. I didn't. I didn't tell you to start this thing. I didn't tell you to, to, to get wrapped up in this thing. I, I didn't tell you to be buried under all of this debt. I, God says, "I didn't tell you to do this," but but I, I'm so faithful that I knew the steps. That you would take, and, and I'm gonna meet you right here. And I'm knocking on the door. I tell you, I tell you, listen, I'm just gonna be real with you. You come and in, in ring the doorbell at my house, knock on the door. At my, house. We, my family has had, if you knew what was happening behind the doorbell sometimes, on the other side of the door, there have been people that have knocked, the doorbells rang, and we've been upstairs, and I'm like, Everybody just shut up. Get the dog. Get the dog. Go look the, go to the man cave. Look down there and see whose car it is. See if we recognize the car. We're signing on to the ring to see if we can see who it is. We're trying to try to peer around to see what in the who, who would possibly ring our doorbell. What who is possibly knocking on our door? And some of you guys are doing that. God's knocking on the doorbell and, and inside. You got so much junk in your life. And inside. There's the parts of you that are going, everybody just shut up. Maybe he won't hear us. Maybe, maybe he won't. Maybe he'll go away. And maybe, maybe the waiting room today is God waiting on you, knocking at the door, and saying, "Will will you let me in? I'm waiting on you." Maybe, maybe you're not waiting on God at all. Maybe God's banging on your door, but, but he's not going to kick the door down. So maybe the waiting room is actually God waiting. On you, because once God responded to Elijah, then Elijah had to go do what God told him to do. And God, I don't know if he went right away, but he did go. And I don't know if if you're waiting on God because you need to hear from Him, you need to be reminded from Him. It, but the truth of the matter is, God might be waiting on you, but you're just busy doing all the wrong things. So, so one of the things that that I asked for our team this weekend to do at churches to just create the space for folks to have a spiritual vista point. Ephesians chapter one, verse 18 and 19, this is in the English Standard Version, says this, it says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. I love having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. When you call for somebody, you call for somebody with your mouth with your voice but in ephesians we're being reminded again that god wants us to listen to him with our eyes he wants to show you he wants you to create the space and time to just wait for him so he can show you who he is and then way when he calls you you'll know you'll have heard him with more than just this fleeting thing this fleeting noise you'll be listening with your eyes having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. He wants to do great things, and he wants you to create the space to listen to him with your eyes, to steady your heart, to slow your anxiety, to, to say, I'm here. What do you want to say to me? I want to travel to the mountain of God, but now through the Holy Spirit, see, we don't have to. There wasn't just this mountain of God back then. We didn't have the presence of God that resided with us constantly. So right where you are, right where you sit, right where you are jogging, right where you're driving, this can be the mountain of God that you have traveled to to hear from the Lord. And so, in, in, in the big house, we're gonna just. Then the lights and the lights are going to be undimmed till the last person leaves the room. Never done that before. But we're going to create a Vista point of sorts for those that are in service this weekend. For for you, if you're watching this via YouTube, via our website, Joe's going to throw up some uh, just a handful of instrumental songs. They're, they're songs that I wrote. but. I don't want you to listen to the words, but to avoid copyright, they're just the instrumental arrangements of songs that that uh, that I've written as an expression of worship. And I just want to do the instrumental uh, parts as a backdrop for for you to just it'll, just to sit there. And Joe, put whatever you want on the screen—a scripture verse, maybe, maybe throw something on the screen that just says, "This is this is your vista point." To, to hear God with, to listen to God with your eyes. Maybe that's what it should say. Maybe you put that Ephesians 1, 18 and 19 verse. Joe, put whatever you want on the slide here, but just put some background music and give the folks watching a chance to just sort of say, God, what do you want to say to me? I'm listening to you with the eyes of my heart. So enlighten the eyes of my heart that I might actually hear and know what you are calling to me next. If you're listening via podcast, I'll just encourage you if you're able to, you might not be able to now, but will you create there's a vista point, right? There's a vista point. California's got a lot of them. And actually, I remember when I first decided to pull off to a Vista point, one of the things I told my wife when I got home, I'm going to pull off at every Vista point I ever see because somebody sat in a boardroom paying tax money, right? Paying taxpayer dollars to say, let's let's make this pull off and pour some concrete and create some benches and and maybe, maybe put this plaque here to say what this Vista point is. And in that boardroom, they're like, what's the point? Why are we doing that? It's, well, because it's beautiful. And we want to give people the chance to pull off from their busy freeway drive and just to experience something lovely and precious and beautiful and and to see this beautiful creation that we get to call home. And so I I told Jess, if somebody cared enough to pour the concrete, I'm going to try to pull over as often as I can to see them. And so care enough to create the space, family. Care enough to create the space. To pour some concrete for you to get off on and to sit for a while so that you can experience the beauty that is the voice of God, the, the beauty that is the calling of God, that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you can hear the calling of God in your life. Create that space, the, the spiritual vista point that you need at the mountain of God to hear from Him today. Are you desperate? Oh, he wants to tell you. He wants to talk to you. He wants to call you. He wants to show you. Let me pray for you as you do that. God, first, thank you for your Holy Spirit. <laughs> Sheesh. You know, I think about Elijah. You know, you had to defeat him miraculously because he had a long journey. He had 40 days he had to walk so he could get to the mountain where he hoped your presence would reside. And then through Jesus, through the power of your Holy Spirit, you, here I sit in the front part of my office. And you're, this this is the mountain of God. Your, your presence resides right here. And so these days, it's it, I don't have to make a 40-day trek. I just got to carve out the stinking space. So Father, be merciful to us for not carving out the space. Be, be gracious to us for not pulling off the freeway of our lives to get away with you and just to see the beauty of what you want to do in us and through us. And honestly, God, just to see the beauty that is you, the splendor that is your presence, God, the glory that is yours. Forgive us for not doing that more often. So we intentionally pour some concrete in our lives right now and create the space and say, speak to us, God. We are listening to you with the eyes of our heart wide open. Do your thing, we pray. Call us, and we will go. And we know that when we go where you call us, you will make a way to provide over and over and over again. You're just that good. Speak to us, God. Speak to the the heart of the one listening right now. In Jesus' name. I love you, guys.